Welcome to the Davidson Day Community Podcast. My name is Pete Moore, Head of School at Davidson Day. Each episode, you will meet different members of our supportive and diverse community. You'll hear fascinating stories from parents, board members, alumni, and the wonderful people who work at Davidson Day. In this episode of the Davidson Day Community Podcast, I'm joined by Steve Manor. Steve began teaching at our school this past year as a 7th and 8th grade history and English teacher. Prior to becoming a patriot, Steve spent 12 years at Forsyth Country Day School, where he was a teacher, served in several administrative positions, and coached golf. Prior to starting his work in independent schools, Steve earned a BA in psychology at Wake Forest University and an MA in general psychology from the University of North Carolina at Wilmington. Steve, welcome. I'm excited to speak with you today. Oh, thank you for inviting me to participate in this. I really appreciate it. And just to kick us off, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Well, I've lived in North Carolina since I was seven, but I'm originally from Connecticut. I grew up there with my mom and her parents, along with my sister, who's 15 months younger than me. And my parents divorced a little bit before I can remember them living together. My dad got a job. He was an electrical engineer with UPS. And he moved to Atlanta, and my grandparents had vacationed at the Outer Banks, actually on the, on the North Carolina coast, when I was a little kid. And so they said, all right, well, let's move to North Carolina. We'll be a little bit closer to your dad. They looked in Charlotte, interestingly enough, first, and ultimately settled in Winston-Salem, which is where I'm actually recording this from with you today. So I still live in Winston-Salem, and I had a really good childhood. It was a little bit different, obviously, being in a divorced family going back and forth between parents, but feel incredibly fortunate and blessed to have had an extra set of parents who were super instrumental in my upbringing. And my grandfather passed away recently, but my grandmother's still in her early 90s. And to have that many years with them is really a blessing. And what were some of your interests as a child? The first thing that popped in my mind, and it sounds a little dorky, maybe Legos. I love some Legos and I still love some Legos. I think Legos are funny because as I I sort of think about myself and who I am now, I'm like, you know, trying to wrangle my three and a half year old kid who's, who's pretty open. We do these little Lego sets together and I am like a rule follower and I have to go through the directions and I know you can buy these creative sets and you can just make your own thing. And I'm like, no, 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 you got to put it together and you got to follow the steps. And then basically you set it on a, on a shelf and you don't touch it. I don't know if that was how I was raised or what, but that was the first thing that popped in my head. And partly because I think I'm doing it with my son now, but I loved Legos. I love being outside. I'm definitely a huge sports fan. And I, I think I got that from both my dad and my grandfather. We were watching different sports, but I've loved sports and continue to love them today. But yeah, Legos and, you know, I played some video games, the ones that are sort of more the the throwback Nintendos and stuff like that. When I was a kid, I used to love Legos as well. And I would get the space sets and I used to build them. And then we had the town sets and my sister and I would play them all the time. But then when my parents got divorced, my mom packed up our childhood home and just gave them to me. And I just had these boxes of Legos And then I taught second grade and then I would just have them in these tubs and we'd call it golden time. The kids would once a week would come out and they would just do whatever they wanted, like free time. They would just build this most amazing things. But I'd, in my early 20s, they'd released the Star Wars Millennium Falcon. And so they got the instructions and then they 
built it and it was awesome and then they just took it apart again and i was like oh no 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 what are you doing i loved it but then what's what's been cool now is i've been getting the retro instructions online and then i'm able to build some of these like you know 1980s lego spaceships and things with my kids it's fun and so when you think back to your childhood was there a particular teacher or teachers who had a strong influence on your life Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've heard that question asked a number of times. And maybe the first time I was asked that question was last summer by Wes Weehunt, actually, in my interview. He asked a a version of that question, and I hadn't really given it a ton of thought. And then in the moment, I just was like, Mike Rewald. So I'll tell you about Mike Rewald. He was my eighth grade English teacher, also my homeroom teacher that year, also my golf coach. So eighth grade was the first year I played golf. And so I had Mike Rewald sort of in these three really important roles in my life, right? This advisor figure, this teacher figure, and then certainly a golf coach. And he was actually my golf coach until I was in the 10th grade. As I sort of think back, he was just a guy who was very genuine. He really cared about the kids. He wanted to get to know them. He was definitely himself. He just like knew who he was. He was very comfortable being vulnerable at times. And we loved him. As I think back, it's like, it was so funny. I was interviewing with Wes for a a seventh and eighth grade humanities position. And I'm like, that's probably why Mike popped in my head. It's like, oh man, I'm essentially going to be Mike Rewald. <laughs> it kind of comes full circle and I wasn't even intentional, but the things that he had done and the relationship that he built with me and how he invested in me, it kind of carried into the way I've tried to approach my career. And that's a great segue. So this is your first year teaching seventh and ninth grade humanities at Davidson Day. What were some of your highlights of the year? I've always been about building relationships and just meeting new people and, and getting to develop my connection with them. And that question leads me to think about specific situations with kids. Uh, the first one that pops in my mind, there was a student that I worked with in seventh grade this year, and and the vocabulary quizzes were really challenging for her at the beginning of the year. And, and maybe some of the ways that I was assessing the students was a little bit different and was challenging. And it was tough for her in the beginning. And I had conversations with her and her mother, and we worked through them. And I did a lot of one-on-one meetings with her. And then she got to a point in the year where she just turned the corner. She figured it out. It clicked. She didn't need to meet with me anymore. She's making A's and 100 plus extra credit on some of these quizzes. And so that was really exciting and really rewarding. And I could see it on her too. To see somebody who is facing challenge and then it clicks and she figures it out and she gets past it is probably one of the biggest reasons why I do what I do. There were other things. You know, I just had a blast with the kids at recess. Like I'm the kind of guy that the kids are playing football at recess and it's like, yeah, I'm going to get in this game. And I think they enjoy that too. So it's building those relationships in different contexts in the classroom, out of the classroom. You know, it was really neat on the last day of school, you know, the kids bringing me their yearbooks and they're like, will you please sign? And there's like a line. It was just kind of neat because it's like, okay, like I had the impact that I was hoping to have. So you're a product of independent schools yourself. Like how do you think your experience at an independent school shaped you? Well, I think it's shaped me in a number of important ways. I definitely benefited from smaller classroom sizes and the investment by teachers. They knew us. They knew us. They knew our names. They knew our backstories and that sort of thing. And I think that helped me to feel really comfortable. These teachers, they were very approachable. You know, I think one of the things that I've always really enjoyed is the challenge that independent schools provide and the type of academic stimulation that we have and the preparation for college, that sort of thing, even at earlier grade levels. That's always been really beneficial. But one of these unsung things that kind of goes back to the the individual attention from teachers that I mentioned a minute ago, by the time I got to college, I had spent so much time talking with these teachers. I was comfortable, you know, 
asking them for letters of recommendation, whether that be for a job or for college, whatever it is. I felt very comfortable speaking to adults, people in different positions of authority. I do firmly believe that those types of relationships that I had with teachers helped me to feel comfortable and confident talking to professors in college, which just opened up doors in a variety of places as I went on to graduate school and beyond. The ability to have a connection with students at all ages across the school was so cool. When I was in high school, I would do mentor programs with kids in our elementary school or even local elementary schools, which is just really neat how everybody's kind of housed under at Davidson Day, literally one roof, but in one campus, you can have an impact on a wide range of people, which is really cool. Yeah, it is really amazing in a building like ours where you can just go from, say in the morning, I'm greeting kids, walking them in the building, our sort of toddlers, and then sort of minutes later, you're in a high school hallway talking about college admissions or whatever. Like, it's just amazing how you can span the length and breadth of childhood just in a matter of minutes. Something that's been fun getting to know you this year is just how we both believe in the power of creating school culture and things like that. And I've heard numerous times this year is that your students loved having you as their teacher. What did you do to actively build a positive classroom culture? Well, first, I'm flattered to hear that. You know, it's probably pretty simple things. For me, honestly, a lot of it comes back to my all my schooling, which is in psychology. And from our origins or the, the beginning of life, the most important things are establishing trust and a secure bond with your caregivers. And in the classroom setting, I, I really just try to do the same thing. When I'm forming new relationships, obviously, <laughs> we're not talking about babies and parents, but you have new relationships. And when you have a new class of kids, I mean, I formed like 75 new relationships this year. And so what are the things that I can do early on to make them feel heard, to make them feel like I care about them and I'm in their corner? One of the simplest things, Pete, for me is like, I I memorize their names immediately. Mm -hmm. And it sounds sort of silly, maybe, I don't know. It does not go unnoticed with the kids. When I form relationships with the the seventh and eighth graders this year, or even some of the fifth graders I had in study hall, you know, I want to get to know their names and I want to ask them questions about their families and maybe where they're from or things like that. And then it's important to me to remember it (laughs) so that when we have conversations later, we can build on that. For me, it's trying to keep it simple with building some relationships, establishing trust. They recognize that, hey, he actually cares about me. He's not here to just give me homework and tests, but he wants to get to know me. And then I mentioned earlier, you know, I'm jumping into football games at recess or on field day, I was doing a sack race with students and just getting into the mix with them. And they see like, he's not a scary, intimidating guy. It also doesn't hurt that I'm barely five foot six or seven or whatever it is. So they're not really intimidated by me anyway, but just trying to be myself, trying to be real. And I think they pick up on that. And also if I'm consistent in my message and what my expectations are, and I hold people accountable when they violate that, if we're talking about culture, I think that's also really, really important too, to make sure that it is a positive culture in the classroom and everybody is coexisting in a a collaborative manner. I think you struck a really important note there was just that something along the lines of like, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I had a a head of school when I worked in Illinois who used to say that a lot. And it's just so true. And especially sort of in the classroom or sort of whatever role that you have is that it's very easy to come in as the content expert, but then it's really 
does this person care about me? And I think back to my own schooling or playing sports and it was the, those who just took that extra few minutes to get to know me, even just the, the quirky things I was into. And really, you'd sort of you'd do anything for those people. We're talking about culture and you've studied psychology, but how would you define culture? I'd probably give you a, a basic definition for me. Culture is really just kind of the set of values and beliefs and behaviors that the particular group or maybe organization has. Hopefully they all share, to clarify that. I think it's important that people within a culture do share, like if you're at, at a school like ours, we share a mission, we share values. That doesn't mean everybody has to think exactly the same. In, in fact, quite the opposite. I think it's great to have a variety of perspectives. But I do think kind of at the core, you need to be on the same page with what do we really value and prioritize. It's interesting you say that because we had that book club you were part of this year with a few of our colleagues, which was the book Think Again by Adam Grant. And those who are listening who haven't read it, I strongly recommend it. And what were your takeaways from that book? There are a lot of things that I, I like about the book. Kind of in a nutshell, Grant is challenging the reader with research to support it to be open-minded consider different perspectives, viewpoints, be empathetic to other people. I can't think of a better time to read that book probably right now in our country. Listen, like you and I, we both value culture and we have ideas on how to shape it. But that doesn't mean that you and I are necessarily going to look at it exactly the same way. And that's okay. That's a good thing because you challenge me and I challenge you. If, you know, if something that I say makes you scratch your head and you're like, I don't know if I really like that, but maybe you go back and you think about it later and you're like, okay, I sort of understand where he's coming from. And I just think that helps the culture to grow, to improve for, in this case, an organization to find more success or whatever it is. I think it's really valuable. I, I thought it was a great book. And the book Think Again by Adam Grant. The byline is the power of knowing what you don't know. And a couple of the quotes that I really love was the purpose of learning isn't to affirm our beliefs, it's to evolve our beliefs. And another one is, which is probably my favorite from the book, it says, you don't have to believe everything you think. You're an integral part of our culture club this year, which we established at the beginning of this 2021 school year. Do you mind explaining a little bit about the Culture Club and why you wanted to be part of it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll start by why I got into it. So I was hired last summer and I'm a, uh, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a very social person. You know, in those first meetings that we had in the, at the beginning of the school year in August, you would mention the Culture Club and would people like to be interested? And for me, I'm like, okay, well, this is going to be a great opportunity for me to meet other people right away. It's going to be an awesome way for me to learn about Davidson Day because I, I didn't know a ton about it, right? Hadn't been in the community. I wanted to learn, you know, how could I be a part of improving it? Not to say that, it, that there was something wrong per se, but like, how can I help people to continue to grow? How can I be challenged at the same time to grow? And so what are some of the things that we did this year? Honestly, what I thought it was going to be from the beginning was how can we do things on campus to improve the camaraderie or the boost morale with faculty and staff, bring people together, particularly in a COVID year where we're going to be kind of separate, there were some different activities for people to do to bring faculty and staff together, which was awesome. But then you really wanted to look at who are the people that work here? What drives the people who are dedicating their, their lives to the students and co their colleagues and the parents of the students at the school? 
we as a group did a, a kind of a deep dive of like, well, what are the characteristics we really want these people to have? Knowing that not everybody's going to have every single trait possibly, but what are the core traits that people have that are going to help us to live our mission and to serve the students and their families well? And so it was really fun to be a part of that. It's just a, an ongoing process of how can we continue to get better as a school, draw closer together, and then give our students the best opportunities possible. Thanks so much for participating in that throughout the year and your involvement was key as well as a few other people. I've always believed, really since I started playing competitive sports sort of in high school, that the way that you feel in the group really, really matters. And so what happened was, I've just learned about culture over the years. How do you come into a company or a school, an organization, and capture what is there how do you capture that, amplify it, but also what are other things you want to do and to highlight them as well? And what was interesting about this process was that even though I've read books, articles, is there isn't really like a roadmap of like how to do this. And what was fun was sort of the developing that roadmap together. My hope is that it really reinforces the incredible culture that we have here, but also makes us really conscious of how we can keep it and also to grow it. And there's an old adage that states, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Why do you think that's the case? It's a great question. I really like that quote. I think that was Peter Drucker, if I'm not mistaken. I think if you have the right people who are carrying themselves in a manner that is consistent with the values and the mission of the organization, then I think the sky is really the limit with that strategic plan. But if you kind of have it backwards and you have a great plan, but you don't have people who really do live out those values and mission, you've got it backwards. And sometimes what happens is maybe you end up achieving what you want to achieve, but not, not in the right way. There are things that we can do to create a strong classroom culture, and you've talked about some of those things in a strong organizational culture. What are some of the things that you've seen work? Good question. And I've got different perspectives. Clearly, I'm teaching seventh and eighth grade, which has been awesome and an amazing opportunity for me. I've also been a high school principal, so I, I sort of see things from different perspectives. When I was an administrator, what I really wanted to do was hire people who really did match the values and mission of our school. And then to the extent possible, really kind of turn them loose and let them cook, let them be creative and not micromanage and give them that trust, trust them to go out and do awesome things. And in my experience, I tended to find that when I put people in those types of situations, they did amazing things. And there was an incredible trickle down to students. And then ultimately when you've got happy students, you've got happy parents and and the whole thing just works and it clicks. If I'm thinking about the classroom, I definitely try to give students creative freedom and choice in some of the things that they do because I think they're going to do their best work there. Getting to teach seventh and eighth grade, again, is going to be a lot of fun for me because last year was the first year I did it. And what can I do differently and how much extra freedom and creativity can they have so that they can do even cooler work. If students or faculty see that you really care about them and want them to do their best work, I think that only helps to build the relationship, which ultimately leads to better work and more learning. And 
this has your, been your first year at Davidson Day, and what are some of the things that you have enjoyed about working here? Well, what I tell everybody is I, I love the people uh, so much, and that's everybody that I've come into contact with. The students have been so much fun in the class. Having not taught middle school before, worked with middle schoolers in different contexts, coaching golf, other things like that, but having not taught middle school before, I didn't know exactly what I was getting into. And it's definitely different than high school, but it was so much fun. And you have students who are, they're still really curious and they want to learn and they want to impress you. And yeah, they have a lot of energy. I had great interaction with parents. Parents were so supportive. Parents, especially this year, were just so thrilled that their kids were in school what have we talked about? 91% of days we were in school and the parents were just so thrilled that their kids had that opportunity. And then I loved the people I worked with. One of the things that I had asked Wes in my interview last summer was very important to me. Here are your values on the website, but how do you live these out? And what are the people like? We mentioned earlier that I jumped into that culture club. And then there were some other things I sort of just did on my own. And you and others were great about just letting me do it where I'm shooting emails to the entire faculty. And it's like, hey, we're going to do this NFL eliminator thing. And hey, we're going to do this March Madness bracket challenge. And hey, we're going to do, you know, fill in the blank. And that was embraced. And it was a way for me to connect with other people and find out like, one, what they do, who they are, get to know them some. What I I think I said to Wes when I interviewed last summer, I want to be in, in sort of a family atmosphere. The way I look at it, listen, I love my sister, but we used to argue a lot as kids. (laughs) Maybe we still don't see eye to eye on everything. And I sort of expect that to be the same way with the people I work with, that I'm going to support them. I'm going to have their back and hopefully they're going to have mine and we won't agree on everything. But you know what? Sometimes that's good as long as we do that in a respectful way. And I've really enjoyed being a part of the Davidson Day family from students, parents, and um, faculty and staff this year. And we couldn't be happier that you joined our merry band too, mate. We've already talked about a book that we've both read, but what is the book or books you most frequently recommend to others? Two pop into my head. The first one is A Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely. Have you heard of it? No. Dan Ariely is a behavioral economist at Duke. The book is probably at this point 13 or 14 years old. But, you know, like I said earlier, my my background in psychology, I was drawn to this book because it, it, again, predictably irrational. It's about our decision-making and how often our brain sort of leads us astray. And it's, it's fascinating. A lot of it has to do with how we spend money, but it's a very interesting read that I would recommend. And then another one that I read more recently is called The Coddling of the American Mind. And it's written by Jonathan Haidt. And he's a co-author and I... I can't remember, unfortunately, his name, maybe Greg Lukianoff, if I'm pronouncing that right. And that book's very interesting because it is. it was written more recently within the last maybe three or four years. It tackles Generation Z and is sort of the way that they have been raised by parents, by educators in a manner that doesn't necessarily allow them to face challenge or failure openly. And what are the effects of that? Like, how does that lead to entitlement? How does it lead to group polarization? We certainly want to protect people and make sure people are psychologically well and physically well, but do we sometimes go too far and protect people from even ideas? Again, going back to Grant and think again, like it is good to be exposed to those ideas. It doesn't mean you have to agree with all of them, but it does challenge your thinking a little bit and can actually lead to more productive society. What are some things you love doing in your free time? Golf. 
Can I say that? Can, yes. Am I allowed to say that in front of playing with my children or, or spending time with my wife? <laughs> I love them dearly, but because I get to play less golf, that would have to be my answer, number one. Love being outside. I'm competitive. I love sports, as I mentioned, but to do that outside on a pretty day, there's nothing better. If you could learn a new skill, what would it be and why? I'm going to learn to play an instrument. I really wish I had learned to play an instrument. I love music. I probably could have said on the last question, what I do in my free time is, you know, now that we can being vaccinated, go to concerts. My wife and I love music. And if I could go back and, and learn how to play the guitar, I think I'd do that in a second. I worked at a school in Australia and we had all these music studios. We had a classical guitar teacher, so I'd sort of learn some chords. But then in the six years that I was there, I learned to play classical guitar. So I can't play any pop songs, but I can play sort of like Baroque guitar music. It's a great example of just like the compound effect of just chipping away, right? Just like year after year and you can slowly get better. But I think that's one of the things that stops people from learning a musical instrument is that the learning curve at the beginning is so steep, but then you just chip away, chip away. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior or habit has most improved your life? Uh, well, in the last five years, I've had two children. That's a game changer in a good yes. way, but definitely a game changer. So for me, honestly, I don't know if it's a one specific thing, but it's sort of like my morning routine is sort of sacred to me. And it was even before you know, I came to Davidson Day this past year, and I've got a 70-minute commute to work in the morning. So I, you know, I, I roll out of bed, you know, 4.15, 4.30 to make sure that I have time to you know, take care of my dogs, exercise, I try, I don't always accomplish this, but I have a great journal that I would recommend. It's called the Self Journal. And in it, you've got all these different prompts about what you're doing for the day and different targets and just sort of kind of keep you focused. So I try to do that in the morning too. And then, um, you know, I get my son up and get them, you know, rolling my kids and, and then get in the car. But yeah, carving out some time before the kids and before the crazy begins is just is super vital to me. And I think just kind of keeps me whole and balanced, which I think are also really important things of I need a little exercise. I need a little just me time while everybody else is still asleep. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm a morning person and not, not a night person. So I get home from work and you know, I know I hear the stories of my students staying up till midnight or whatever. And it's like, yeah, I, midnight. <laughs> I haven't seen midnight in years. Yeah. And what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career in education? You know, I think a lot of people in education are like, well, you know, you have to love kids. And I think that's totally true. I think it's also really important that you love working with adults also. Here's what I mean by that. I've definitely worked with a number of teachers over the years who they enjoy working with the kids of different ages. But then when it comes to the different faculty meetings and working with administration or whatever, like that's a challenge for them or they don't like working with parents. You know, it's like you've got to be open to that part of it, too, because really there are three constituent groups. You've got your students, you've got parents and you've got administration. And the reality is you're not just working with kids. And so I think that's just an important often forgotten thing. And the other thing I, I got to give to, because I'm just not good at coming up with one thing for most things. <laughs> Again, I'm, I'm a product of independent schools and having worked in them for what now, 13 or 14 years, whatever it is, I would say if you're comfortable, say yes to as many things as possible on campus. In the schools that I've worked in, just like Davidson Day, it's a preschool through 12th grade program. And so there's so many opportunities to get to work with students and faculty and staff in different parts of the school, it helps you to understand more about like how independent schools work and like what's going on in other parts of the school. I just think it's so valuable. So you don't sort of become isolated in your own little 
part of the organization and you kind of don't really understand what other people are doing. I think it just makes it, it enhances the relationships you're going to have with other people and then the way that you, you ultimately serve the entire community. So I would say plug in as many places as possible. I think that benefits everybody. Yeah, that's great advice. My first independent school I worked at was uh, this school, Sydney Grammar School. And I was 26 when I first started there. I taught fourth and fifth grade English. The next year I was a fourth grade homeroom teacher because we had sort of a specialized model, went back to more of a homeroom model. Then the following year, someone wanted to move from second grade. So I taught second grade. Then the following year, the director of technology left. And so then they asked me to do that, but also teach a fifth grade accelerated math class on the side, plus other things involved in the school. It was just such a great way to meet other people in the school, but also just to learn so many different things. And the last question is, what inspires you? I've talked a lot about relationships, but you know, building relationships and really you know, cultivating them, that's why I do what I do. And I guess as an extension of that, it's not just building those relationships, but then finding ways to help to improve the quality of the lives of those people that I'm building those relationships with. I say that again from the experiences I had. If we go back to the beginning of our conversation, you know, I, I was so fortunate to have essentially three loving parents in my house growing up who poured everything of themselves into me, you know, their time, their energy, finances, all that kind of stuff. And then going through independent schools and seeing how people have invested in me. And so it's kind of second nature to say, this is kind of what I was meant to do. Like, I want to do the same stuff. How can I build these relationships with the kids or their parents or the teachers that I work with and, and try to help them get better at what they do? While at the same time, like, I want to keep getting better. Yeah. What inspires me is really cultivating those relationships and helping people to become better versions of themselves. Beautifully said, Steve. Well, thanks so much for all your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And we're all so glad that you're here at Davidson Day. All the best, mate. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for making the time for me. You've been listening to the Davidson Day School Community Podcast, which is hosted by Pete Moore, head of school at Davidson Day. The podcast is recorded on campus in the heart of the Lake Norman area. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear them. Email your thoughts to podcasts at davidsonday.org. That's podcasts at davidsonday.org.